And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Parasite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 200 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Negley, at time of recording, 11.06 a.m. on June 28th, 2020. Big, big, big episode here today. Lots to talk about, some major announcements, a time to look back and reflect, and as well as look forward to the future. 200 episodes, almost four years worth of content. Our anniversary is technically September 1st, uh, but this represents 200 weeks in a row that the Next Best Picture podcast has been invading your eardrums. Here to help me celebrate, I have someone with me that's been here since episode one, Michael Schwartz. Honestly, I can't believe it. I would normally say something witty here, but, you know, this is just too big. I'm amazed that we're here. Yeah. Fantastic. (laughs) And uh, someone that usually does say something witty when I introduce him, Dan Baer. (laughs) Happy 200 and happy Pride Sunday, everybody. Absolutely. Tom O'Brien. I can't believe it's been 200 and I look forward to 200 more. Josh Parham. It's just incredible. I can't believe I'm here either. Cody Derek's. I can't believe we're 200 years old. <laughs> and also, too, joining us once again here on the podcast, and I might as well start off with our first very big announcement here uh, for the show, the newest member of the Next Best Picture team, Kaya Shanyada. Hello. Yay. <laughs> Welcome. Very excited to be here for the 200th episode and very excited to be a team member officially. I uh, confirmed uh, Kaya. A little while before we recorded, uh, the people on the show right now, this is their genuine reaction. Uh, no one else knows other than me and Kaya. So. Congratulations. Thank you. But Kaya's been on the last couple of podcasts with us, and we've really, really enjoyed having her on here. She's been a wonderful presence, and uh, we can't wait to see uh, where else she goes on her journey, especially as she uh, she's in film school right now, uh, actually currently discovering some of the greatest movies of all time and uh it's going to be really really exciting kaya uh to kind of be along with you as your cinephile progression i guess progresses (laughs) (laughs) all righty and then other news also might as well just start off with the big announcements right might as well uh so to mark the 200th episode here huge milestone actually something that um I'll admit, like we weren't necessarily working towards it, but it was an opportunity that fell into my lap. I am very, very proud to announce that the Next Best Picture podcast has officially teamed up with the Evergreen Podcast Network, and our show is now officially a part of their com- of their compilation of podcasts that basically go over multiple topics, not just uh, film, but 
the quality of these shows are just absolutely incredible. And uh, we're going to be seeing some changes um, over here at the show. Minute changes, nothing in terms of the content for what we will be producing. But you will notice maybe some subtle little things here and there. Uh, nothing bad. I've uh, been in direct contact with the team over there. And it's something that I am personally really, really excited about and is, once again, just a natural progression along our journey as we continue to expand. So I want to give a huge shout out to every single person that's ever listened to the show, every person that's ever come on the show, every person that's ever contributed over to the Next Best Picture podcast to get it to where it is today. So thank you all very, very much. All right. So first things first, Kaya, let's start off with you. What have you been watching over the last week? Anything good? I only watched two films this week. I was super busy, but they were both fantastic. I watched I Love You, Philip Morris with Jim Carrey and Ewan McGregor. Oh, Hilarious. I love it. <laughs> and then I watched Pop Star Never Stop Stopping for the first time. And it was <laughs> oh, my God. Well. Yeah. <laughs> both of those movies, a tremendous amount of fun. One of Jim Carrey's uh, more underrated performances, and I Love You, Philip Morris as well. Mm-hmm. And for sure. God, I, I, I'm telling you, Popstar is a comedy classic, a new comedy <laughs> classic, if I've ever seen one. That movie is just too much to handle. It's so good. All righty, uh, let's hear from Michael. Michael, uh, what have you been doing this last week? Yeah, so two movies from me last week. I watched uh, She's Gotta Have It because I was in a Spike Lee mood after The Five Bloods. And I had never seen it before. One of his very, very, very early films. And it's very much uh, independent, experimental student film if you will i know he wasn't a student but it feels like a student film but uh some gorgeous imagery uh very much shows what he's capable of and the career that he would have after that and then i also caught up with just mercy from last year it's streaming for free on a bunch of platforms right now and i didn't see it in theaters so i wanted to see what it was all about and jamie fox's sag nominated performance and i'd put this movie off when it was in theaters because it just seemed like i knew every beat of it like it just felt like made for Oscar bait, but even though it didn't get any Oscar nominations and pretty much proved me right. I you know, found it semi-engaging story. You know what was going to happen, obviously. Performances were all respectable. It was a fine movie, but not anything I would ever really go back to. It was just, you know, sort of respectable blend, whatever. Uh, yeah, no, I, I understand that. I think it's a very powerful story with good performances still to this day. A, a little cliche at times, sure, but earnest, you know, and it's a depiction of its a true life story. And, you know, it's free to watch in many places right now. So why the hell not? Right. Yeah, I just watched Clemency a few weeks before and watching them sort of close together. You know, they're sort of similar stories, but Clemency is just so much more powerful and you get a deeper sense of these characters and the horror of the system. And Just Mercy was, you know, typical Oscar bait. Yeah, no, definitely. I hear you. All right. Let's hear uh, from Josh Parham. Josh Parham, what do you got going on over the last week? Uh, so for me, I've actually noticed that I haven't seen a ton of movies this week, and it's probably because I've been binging Hannibal on Netflix and catching up. Yes. Yes. Up yes. My time. So good. It's, it's interesting. Um, so that's been my main priority throughout the week. However, I have seen a couple things. Um, I did rewatch The Imitation Game for our podcast discussion, which was very fun. Mm-hmm. The movie, not so much, but I love the discussion. That was great. And I recommend people check that out uh, on our Patreon. Um, I also saw this documentary that premiered on Netflix not too long ago called Disclosure. And it is looking at um, 
sort of trans visibility in media. It kind of is like uh, the celluloid closet. If anybody's ever seen that documentary, kind of works with a similar framework. And I, I found it to be very interesting. It, it's a very revealing documentary about um, a lot of different movies and television shows that have been using trans characters in both good and bad ways. And, you know, it's on Netflix, so it's an easy watch. And I would highly recommend people check it out. Nice. No, it sounds very, very interesting. Something that definitely uh, sounds like it's worth checking out. You said it's on Netflix, right? Yeah, it's uh, you can stream it on Netflix right cool. now. Cool. Awesome. All right. Uh, Dan Bear, how about you? Um, like Josh, I also watched Disclosure because it is pride month and this was pride week and i've been watching a lot of lgbt stuff and yeah also highly highly recommend um the other one that i highly recommend that i watched for the first time um that is now available on amazon prime is the watermelon woman yes oh so good <laughs> which is incredible um it's like it's very much a mid-90s indie movie but made uh, written and directed by and starring Cheryl Dunye, who is um, black lesbian filmmaker. Um, I believe it was the first film ever released to be directed by an out black lesbian. And it's really, really well done. Um, the story about looking at how the world of film, you know, can hide and, um, cover up black voices and women's voices and gay voices and really, really well done. Um, I highly, highly recommend if you haven't seen it. Um, and I rewatched the imitation game and you can hear all of my many, many thoughts on this, on our, <laughs> our podcast review. I highly recommend. And I also, uh, got to see one of the breakout films from Sundance Palm Springs. Oh yeah. Which will be on Hulu in a couple of days. Yeah. Which is, um, a lot of fun yeah definitely one of my favorite ones from earlier this year at sundance as well i agree mm -hmm. kristen miliotti and andy samberg have fantastic chemistry work really really well together and the premise is great and it's very funny all right cool uh cody all right, so I've had a kind of a kooky week of watching, just looking at my letterbox list now. I'm like, I don't really know what I was doing this week. But anyway, um, I, like Dan said, and I've been watching a lot of uh, Pride-adjacent movies. I watched, for the first time ever, uh, Pariah and Weekend. Uh, oh, oh, for the first time? Wow. For the first wow. time. And now I'm finally gay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Pariah was great. Weekend especially I, is one of the better written films of that year. I highly recommend mm -hmm. it. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, my friends and I have a semi-weekly bad movie virtual watch club that we've been doing lately. And this week's movie, which I've also never seen, was Snakes on a Plane. So um, that was fun. Uh, <laughs> it's maybe the most Bush-era movie I've ever seen in my life. And I don't really know why. It just felt like 2006 in all the best and worst ways. And then yesterday was my birthday, so um, accordingly, I watched uh, Paris is Burning, which I got a beautiful mm -hmm. criterion of uh, yeah. a few weeks ago. Ah, great. Wonderful. It should be like, I, my comment this time watching it, which I've seen it several times, but the, I, I really think it should be like projected on buildings. It's like totemic. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. um, also had a little Disney double feature of Aladdin and Hunchback of Notre Dame. 
I mean, who can ever go wrong with uh, Disney Renaissance films, yeah, right? Exactly. What's not to mm-hmm. love? All right. And Tom O'Brien. Well, I've been, this past week, I've been kind of in Emmy hell. I feel like I'm back in college because I'm cramming, trying to get as many shows in as I can because voting starts tomorrow. And I don't know, I, you know, still don't know uh, what I'm going to put on my ballot. Um, but uh, you know, so there's been a, so much good television out there for the past year um, that uh, I think that it's going to be whatever shape and form the Emmys will be taking this year. Uh, it'll be uh, fascinating. And I'm really looking forward to the nominations and see if anything I voted for got nominated. But I do want to recommend a TV show that will be eligible next year that uh, I was really kind of surprised by. And that's the new Perry Mason series on HBO. Uh, It was originally going to be a feature film starring Robert Downey Jr. um, But uh, that kind of fell through. So Downey and his wife are producing this. And the production value on it is remarkable. 1930s Los Angeles. Boy, they recreate this in, in it's such a lot, you know, a lot of very atmospheric uh, touches, you know, wet streets and things like that. Um, Perry is not the Perry Mason you remember from Raymond Burr. This is kind of a prequel. Before he became a lawyer, he was a private eye and a really down and out private eye. I mean, he would get his wardrobe off of corpses in the uh, morgue. It's like, oh, that's a nice tie. And he wound up taking it. Uh, it's basic. This is going to be a sort of series-long arc about uh, a kidnapped child. Uh, but along the way, there's a lot of fascinating characters. Um, John Lithgow is in it as uh, uh, an attorney, a struggling attorney who uh, basically hires Perry for all his PI work. Uh, and uh, with a with wire rim glasses and a bushy mustache, um, Lithgow's a dead ringer for John Bolton. Uh, and uh, and uh, uh, from the later series uh, are now in different part, you know, different parts, you know, because these characters are just starting out when they're young. Della Street is not working for Perry. She's working for this big lawyer. Paul Drake is a beat cop. And um, they've got a, a plot involving an Amy Semple McPherson uh, character played by Tatiana Maslany from um, Orphan Black. Another Emmy winner in it, and it's a really remarkable uh, recreation of Los Angeles in a very particular time. Yeah, I'm excited to check out Perry Mason uh, myself on HBO. Um, For myself, I had a very light week of watching. I had multiple opportunities to watch something, and for some reason, I did not take it. So I apologize to everyone uh, for not doing that. Uh, This week, though, is pretty packed as a result, and I have so much to get through. Uh, The only thing that I can really speak to is I rewatched The Imitation Game for our 2014 retrospective, which has been a lot of fun so far, and uh, is something that I highly urge all of you to check out our reviews of as we re-examine that film year. This is our 200th episode, Uh, no surprise, as I said at the top of the show here. So what I want to do is actually I want to take a moment to actually kind of like reflect a little bit on 200 episodes, maybe uh, shout out some moments that uh, ring true for you all and y'all remember uh, from the great times of uh, of old and, uh, you know, just have that a free form discussion here. I don't know why, but one of the more memorable moments I've had uh, podcasting with y'all is our weirdly long retrospective review of Crash. Uh, Josh, you were definitely oh, there. Who else was there? Dan, were you there? I was yeah. there. 
Yeah. Yep, I remember being there. <laughs> those Good those one. Patreon reviews usually are like 45 minutes to an hour. This, I think, was close to two hours. Um, you know, obviously, there's a lot to talk about there. But I think that's kind of the discussions I value more. You know, it's it's one thing to watch a movie and have everybody go like, oh, yeah, it was great. You know, like I a Parasite review can only be so exciting. You know, it's mm-hmm. like still worthy, but it's, you know just pretty unanimous but something like crash for example is you know definitely going to spur more interesting discussions uh and i think that's kind of the stuff i both enjoy listening to more and also recording more yeah i i agree cody i remember when we first started doing them and i remember an early one with uh parham where we talked about lawrence of arabia and i just remember thinking to myself wow i feel like there was just so much preparation work that went into like just gathering notes and having a lot to talk about with this where like I felt like it was just a, such a more detailed thorough discussion than what we do sometimes with our uh, Saturday uh, reviews which I really do appreciate don't get me wrong but they're more like kind of initial impressions and it's obviously the first time that we've been watching these movies so I feel like the retrospectives especially have been just a lot of fun to kind of like track how our thoughts and opinions have changed over time I'm also going to just do this while we give our own like thoughts and opinions on uh you know the last uh, 200 episodes but like we also got a lot of uh, interaction and uh, responses from the MVP film community and I want to just read some of them for all of you guys uh this one comes from Isaiah Washington who says I've been listening to you guys for a while and you guys have great content i love the passion the q a's the oscar predictions hearing your subjective movie reviews and retrospectives from a talented team and thank you for creating community uh, awards for us mm. to vote on it's very sweet i think that's actually been something i want to like draw attention to i love when we have our uh award winners both for the community and for us i just love the surprises the snubs you know, I, I've, I've always enjoyed those moments. And I like that that kind of continues like every week a little bit with the poll sometimes, too. Yeah, it's great to have that interaction with the community. And it's always so fascinating just to see not only what you voted for for a particular thing, but how everybody else kind of feels about a similar subject as well. And and so often the community has better choices than we do. Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ethan May wrote in, you guys were the first podcast I ever listened to, as well as the gateway into watching movies and predicting Oscars. So I thank you for that. And Ethan May, we thank you for sending in uh, some of the stuff that you guys that you've been having us do like on the podcast during like the game section at the end every week. Um, That's been a lot of fun. So thank you for keeping that coming. Very grateful. I I think the team that we've assembled between episodes 100 and now 200 has been nothing short of stellar. Uh, There was a time in 2018 where Matt and I were really working to, you know, bring new voices into the site and change what Next Best Picture had been. And many of those new voices are on the show today. So I think that was just a wonderful thing that we were able to do and turn the site into what we envisioned it being back in 2016. It's definitely been the thing that I'm probably the most most proud of. Um, it actually uh, kind of segues nicely into something that Kevin L. Lee wrote for us. Um, I may have guessed it just once on the podcast, but you were a fantastic host, Matt. I'm going to just pat myself on the back for that one. Uh, you gave the episode structure, agenda, and you let everyone have a chance to speak. I would love to guess again in the future if you would have me. Kevin, yes, uh, we will definitely have you again, I promise. I, I will just throw in there that, yes, Matt, you are always the consummate host um, y'all don't see all the work that he does behind the scenes, but 
Matt is constantly talking with us to make sure that we are doing the best that we can do for the site and for the podcast and, you know, trying constantly trying to make things better and improve. And I think he deserves all the shout outs in the world for that. Yep. You're here. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one comes from Juan Carlos Ojiano. Sending my deepest thanks to all of you. I've been reading blogs and tweets for a long time, but it can get really lonely after a while. Hearing people literally talking about things that matter, films, Oscars, etc. I really felt a sense of community with you all. Cheers to 200 episodes and more. I really do love comments like that, especially because I don't know if anybody else sort of feels this way sometimes, but, you know, when you're sitting in front of your computer and we're just having these discussions, sometimes you can forget about the impact that it has on other people. And and for you, you're just thinking that you're just having a conversation. And it's so nice to hear those messages when people are actually listening to them and taking some value in it. And it yeah. makes the work feel so much more of value that it isn't just sitting around and talking about a particular movie that it actually is a discussion that people are interested in listening to and having some kind of engagement with. And that's a very heartening thing that sometimes can get lost in sort of the daily hustle of it all. And I really want to thank people that um, have that kind of idea about what we do here and just know that all of us are incredibly grateful for that. Oh my God, this one. Oscar H wrote in that remember that one week in June 2018 when we had like a million trailers, A Star is Born a first, and First Man were among some of them, for example, and you guys just went through and gave reactions to all of them on one episode. That was the first episode I ever listened to, and I have since then been a huge fan of you guys. If I'm not mistaken, I, I think we also talked about the since forgotten girl with this dragon tattoo sequel whatever it was called with claire with claire foy yeah oh you know remember that movie (laughs) dude that that whole episode i remember the lead up to that and like trying to whittle down all right like i gotta cut out some trailers and then there just were more trailers being announced finally i just was like we gotta just make the whole episode trailer reviews at this point there's no point (laughs) (laughs) there's no way around it crazy it was like the one week where like tiff uh like all the movies that were playing at tiff just released their trailers for some reason mm-hmm. <laughs> i think widows is in there yeah i think so that was that was crazy do you remember the <laughs> do you remember the one time uh where i think it was just because of scheduling and it was the week of i think national board review and new york film critics circle this was like 2017 and i had to do the episode by myself i remember listening to that <laughs> yeah. yeah it's the only episode yeah. to this day where i did a one man show yeah that gives me hives it makes me so anxious <laughs> i cannot imagine <laughs> yeah i just remember thinking thank god there's so much to talk about content wise and i was like i'm just going to do it and see how it goes oh you know what now that i think about it i did record like a 30 minute thing when I was at Sundance, I remember because we were in danger of not having an episode that week. And I was determined to comment yeah, on Parasite remember. versus 1917. They're your little fireside chats. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we'll, we'll read some more of these as we uh, go throughout the uh, episode here. Uh, but, you know, before I kick it over to our next segment, is there anything else that uh, anybody wants to give like a shout out to or just a funny special moment that they remember from the show or anything at all? I will say that 
the episodes that I always look forward to recording the most are anything related to the Oscar predictions. And I think in particular, the winner predictions, I think those are usually the highlights, I think, for our audience as well. And I think that they foster so many great discussions. And I even love looking back on them and listening to those again and seeing what everybody said. I think those are a lot of fun. I think to this day, I could be wrong about this, but I think our Oscar um, winner predictions for last year's show, I think might have been the longest episode that we've ever recorded. I think it was just two minutes or a minute and a half shy of three hours long. Yeah, yeah I usually bring good. I usually bring snacks to those episodes. That yeah. you, you know they're going to be long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Josh, I agree with you. It, it, it's funny to go back and re-listen to some of them. Um, the one that uh, drives me crazy still to this day is I uh, the 2017 Best Picture uh, between Three Billboards, Get Out, and Shape of Water, and just me pulling my hair out, uh, whatever hair I had left, like trying to figure out like which one to go with. That was. <laughs> You can hear I'm like having like a mental breakdown on the episode pretty much. <laughs> Those are yeah, always the best. That reminds me Matt, of the time we bullied you into predicting uh, Lady Gaga for a Star is Born for the Gold Globe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. No, Matt, it's the Globes. They're going to give it to Gaga. Glenn Close doesn't have a chance. <laughs> <sighs> Man. I remember that. Oh, how naive. <laughs> I, I am always a huge fan of the retrospective reviews. Um, getting to go back and look at these movies again is just something that's really special, especially like with all of you guys. Um, you know, our little, our little like almost core crew of me, Matt and Josh, but everyone else who gets to sh- show up every once in a while, it's so much fun to revisit those movies from so long ago and kind of a new memory here too i know we've only done this once but i do want to do it again um our audio commentary uh while re-watching something like serenity <laughs> that is my favorite thing that we've ever done honestly <laughs> i had so much fucking fun with that and I think all three of us did, actually. That was a time and a half, yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. Absolutely. We, we gotta do it with cats. Oh, my God. I don't... And that's the problem, too. I've been struggling with trying to figure out which film to do it for next. I'll, I'll definitely I'll definitely figure it out at some point, because I want, I want to do more. They were just... It was just too much fun. Seriously. And... Michael, I, listen, I know it gets brought up time and time and time again, but do you want to just mention that one thing in 2016 to this day that we still talk about? Yes. Yeah, so there was a moment. Uh, I want to say it's 2016 and 2017 because we expanded this over several weeks when we were doing year end awards for the 2016 film year. I think we did, what, 11 or 12 episodes, Matt? Something like that. It was crazy. And they were each like an hour and a half, two hours each of everyone just running down our top five picks for every category. And it was like four people on the podcast giving five choices. It was crazy, but we were filling our categories like best action movie, best sci-fi, best horror, best comedy. And I didn't see five sci-fi or horror movies out here. So I'm thinking, okay, well I could either fill these in with movies I haven't seen or get a little creative about what we consider to be scary horror. And my thinking was there's nothing scarier than a kid lost in the jungle in the jungle book. That's pretty horrific. <laughs> Therefore, this year twenty sixteen involved uh, fill in the blank. 
And I just remember like you had that on there, but you didn't have the witch on your list. And I just remember thinking like, how was this even possible? Like I was morbidly upset. I, I was, oh God. The fact that you called it scary horror tells me everything I need to know, Michael. <laughs> yeah. My other favorite moment from that time, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but it's worth bringing up for this, you know, retrospective. Uh, in fall of 2016, we were doing our first round of Oscar predictions ever for the site. And it's like September, October 2016. And I said, I bet Warren Beatty's going to be up on that stage holding an Oscar on Oscar night. I don't know if it's going to be for directing roles don't apply or his supporting roles, Howard Hughes or producing or writing, but he's going to be holding an Oscar. And sure enough, he was holding an Oscar in February 2017. Not his own Oscar, but during the big snafu, he was up there. Associated Press got a nice picture of him with the statue in his hand and wasn't expecting it that way, but I was proven right, which was an interesting development. <laughs> I still laugh at how much you stand that movie before it released. And then when it did release, you were like in denial that it wasn't accepted. <laughs> 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 oh, man. OK, uh, let's actually hear now uh, from some people uh, audio wise that uh, we had some people send in some clips uh, reflecting back on the podcast here. So um, here are uh, some familiar voices uh, and also uh, some people, uh, you know, that have, uh, you know, supported us in the past. Uh, let's take a listen. Hey, everyone. It's Kevin Jacobson. I wanted to just offer a huge congratulations to the Next Best Picture team for reaching 200 episodes. It's a hell of an accomplishment. You guys have become really part of my weekly routine. Of I always love listening on Sunday or Monday to hear my friends talk about the stuff I love, which is movies and the Oscars. And I truly feel like I have made so many friends through you guys, and I've had so many of you on my show, and the runner-up is. I wrote them all down just so I wouldn't forget anyone, and it's kind of insane. I've had on you, Matt, I've had Cody Derricks, Casey Lee Clark, Michael Schwartz, Josh Parham, Tom O'Brien, Dan Bayer, Nicole Ackman, Ryan Showers, Amanda Spears, Daniel Howitt, and Lauren LaMagna, and Will Mavity. I've talked with you on another podcast, and truly, I have loved getting to know all of you and getting to talk with all of you about the things that we love. And Matt, I really appreciate you so much for bringing these people into my life through Next Best Picture. It's such a great group of people that you've assembled. And I think a lot has been said about film Twitter being this toxic place. And in some cases, that is true. But I think it's also important to highlight just the people who are part of Next Best Picture who are so enthusiastic and smart about film and don't make ugly personal attacks when you disagree on a film and are just able to create this healthy discussion that I love being a part of. So thank you for that and congratulations again on 200 episodes. Looking forward to the next 200 and beyond. 
I'm Liam Heffernan, a former contributor and fan of Next Best Picture, and if you told me when I started writing for them that they'd only been going for two years, I wouldn't have believed you. They are by far the most professional uh, news source out there for, for this kind of stuff, and, and they're, they're genuinely, they, they're experts and they live and breathe uh, award season, and uh, considering my attention span, uh, their podcasts are incredible, I, 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 and I listen every week, and I implore you to do so if this is the first time you've heard it. Uh, so congrats guys, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure playing my little part in what is such an awesome website and podcast, and uh, here's to another 200 shows. Uh, now, let's talk about some news this week. First things first, I have to laugh. I have to. It's just, it's funny at this point. <laughs> Mulan and Tenant have moved uh, their theatrical dates from July, and at this point, I don't understand why they keep pushing it out just a few weeks. Just push it out, like, way, way out, you know? It's like, they're going to end up having to push it again. <laughs> yeah. More than likely. I mean, it, it is sort of funny how they both want to be in theaters at some point, but neither of them want to do it first. So it just seems like they just keep running back and forth between that, um, that start date. And, I, I you know... I don't know when theaters are going to be open again, and I think it is just best for both of those movies to just push to next year, especially Tenet, because I can understand, you know, Mulan is with Disney, and Disney has a lot of things that they can do, so maybe they can risk it, but Tenet is a movie that kind of needs to get as much money as possible, and you're just not going to do that in this climate right now. Yeah, and it, we give Warner Brothers a, a guaranteed moneymaker almost uh, for next mm -hmm. summer, and they can build their schedule around that. I just, like, I don't know at this point anymore. I just don't know. I mean, now the question is, on my mind, I got two questions here. One, what's going on with Inception? What's happening with Inception being re-released in theaters? <laughs> I need to know now. <laughs> Did that move as well? I don't know. Yeah, I think that moved to the 31st, or so they say. You know, nothing's actually going to open then. Right, exactly. And then uh, Unhinged, Russell Crowe, I need to know. What's good? Oh, <laughs> I, think, I think I got moved back. No, Damn it! <laughs> Everything's getting moved. Uh, I don't know when people will like just finally wake up and realize that nothing has changed. Nothing has gotten better. Everything's only gotten worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I can say as a music, movie theater employee, we don't want people there. So just keep pushing them back. <laughs> or you can adapt. Like... The Toronto International Film Festival, who yeah. announced this week that they are uh, doing social distancing screenings, drive-ins, and utilizing a digital platform. They will have uh, less movies uh, this year, about 50 or so. I think it's like 50, like 56 or I, I don't know, but it's like somewhere around the 50 range. And um, this is going to be interesting to see how this goes because... The, the intention is for the festival to still continue. They've already announced uh, Ammonite is going to be playing there. Uh, Bruised, uh, which is directed and starring Halle Berry. And a few others as well, which is all very exciting because, you know, whenever the TIFF lineup comes out, that's pretty much like what to look for in terms of the award season. But, yeah, you have to ask yourself, like... With Netflix sitting out from film festivals, uh, with a lot of high-profile movies either not finished or maybe going to skip these all together because they want to release at a time when it's more financially viable for their films to get seen within the marketplace, uh, what is TIFF going to look like this year? And for some of us, 
it might just be watching these movies from our computer at home. <laughs> and like, and I mean, that is really cool. Potentially the opportunity to attend TIFF from the comfort of your own home, like very, very cool. I mean, especially, you know, having been there and seeing how crazy it is in person, I'm definitely like the idea of doing it from home is appealing, if not like the most amazing idea ever but it's you know there's only so much we can do in this day and age and i think that doing it digitally as much as that it takes a lot of the fun out of it and the atmosphere and the excitement Mm -hmm. of a film festival it you know it's i think this is the best thing that anyone has come up with to make get these movies seen which is the whole point really of a film festival you know just to get the movies seen by people. And this is the best way to do it. I think so too. I don't know what it's going to mean for accreditation for press. Uh, are they going to just accept everybody? Like, I, I just, I don't know, but it'll definitely be very interesting. we're in unprecedented times right now. You know, what's also super unprecedented fragments of a comment that might hit earth. Uh, so the- <laughs> Sorry, I that was a transition. Can I come I up with a better up. transition? This the answer is no. Um, first trailer uh, for this week is Greenland, uh, starring Gerard Butler. You guys know Gerard Butler, right? Yeah. Right. Like, anyway, uh, this movie's coming out August 14th from STX Entertainment, or so they say, as of right now. We'll see. Uh, but let's take a look at the trailer for this one. Let's give some thoughts. This is Greenland. I don't see Clark. Oh, maybe he's still sleeping. Dad. <laughs> some of Clark's larger fragments are now expected to enter our atmosphere. That's right. I know that just what are they saying? More of the same. First chunks is about to hit. Hit? Only part of it. It's going in the ocean. Two. Would you look at that? One. Wait, what is the explosion? We now are getting word that the fragment has hit Central Florida. Oh my God. Wait, are some more pieces gonna hit? Come on, let's go. But the sky's on fire. Two days. They got it all wrong. There's a ton of fragments. Planet killers. Space agencies are predicting an extinction-level event. We're going to be together, all right, kiddo? We're just trying to get to safety. They've been tracking the military flights to bunkers in Greenland. It's their only chance. Move back! We'll find him. That's okay. Clark's largest fragment will hit in less than 24 hours. I swear I'm going to get my family into that bunker. I know you will, son. If you are hearing this broadcast, seek shelter immediately. What is it? What's going on? If you are hearing this broadcast, oh seek shelter John, Seek shelter immediately. Seek shelter immediately. 
Is this a documentary? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I will say that it definitely feels not like it, it definitely doesn't feel like a movie of its time. I feel like this is a 90s blockbuster disaster film yeah. that mm-hmm. honestly, mm-hmm. like this kind of movie just doesn't feel like it has a place so much in our society anymore. The Which is why I, got... I want to see it. <laughs> really? Yeah. You, 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 like you have like the, that nostalgia for that kind of throwback? We've had this conversation many times. Like, cheesy disaster movies <laughs> is where I'm at. And, like, look, I was paid to see Geostorm in theater. So, yes, oh, I, will go see, I will go see this movie. <laughs> yeah. Huge shout out to our friends at uh, First Time Watchers for that. They are big fans of that movie. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> a fan of it, but I, I understand the pull towards seeing stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I've just, I love deep impact. It was just so stupid, but it would, I just love the seeing the earth get crushed like that. And from the comfort of my seat. <laughs> I, you know, I have a soft spot for those movies too. Like, you know, big nineties kid over here. And those movies were everything back in the day. And, but I don't know, like now it just seems like, no, <laughs> the vibe I got from the trailer was uh, Roland Emmerich directs Melancholia. Like the way they all were kind of like, ah, it's yeah. coming. <laughs> it's going to be very bad. And then it was very bad. I mean, you say that like it's a bad thing. I, I'm not <laughs> saying it like it's a bad thing. I promise. <laughs> I, hopefully there's like a degree of camp here that will make this movie fun, entertaining. Otherwise, yeah. I think we've seen enough cgi spectacle um disaster movies that just they feel so heartless you know they just feel hollow and they don't really scratch that itch at least for me and josh i'm happy if they make you happy but they just haven't worked for me in recent years i can't remember the last one i saw that was like a like on that kind of a level of something like a uh even like independence day going back to like roland emmerich that like got me super super excited you know I mean, I get it, but, like, this is the thing that works for me. Like, some people, they love the comic book movies, and they go in for that spectacle. This is the spectacle that I like. Also, too, can we ever get one of these movies where the lead character doesn't have some connection to the military? <laughs> where they get, like, a military transport or, you know, just something. I want to see one movie one time where they do not have that in, that regular, ordinary people like us clearly just don't have. Well, don't cast your art <laughs> butler, then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's such an easy cast for this, and it's. Uh, but but I gotta say, it does include screaming crowds running in various directions. <laughs> Imagine like if uh, Gerard Butler's uh, in for this movie to get to safety for him and his family was like the president. This is like some sort of a tie-in with the Olympus Has Fallen movies. <laughs> anyway, that's enough bashing for this one. Let's actually instead of bashing movies, let's highlight some movies. Uh, we have come to the end of the first half of 2020. So we are at a point now where, I mean, Jesus Christ, it's, it's, it's tough assessing, obviously, you know, like what the year has been so far. And I know that there are um, lots of movies that have still not been seen Uh, streaming titles, such as say baby teeth, for example, which is really small, but um, is a movie that, you know, I highly urge people to definitely check out. Um, it's one that's actually one of my favorites of the year so far. Um, I've asked the MVP team to share with me some of their favorite movies that they've seen so far in the first half of the year. I want to have a, a discussion over some of the best here. So um, is there anything off the top of anyone's head right now that like comes to mind that you want to give a shout out to? 
I've been saying it for the past three weeks, but Aviva is the best, most original, amazing thing I've seen all year, and I can't stop singing its praises enough. So if you want to hear me shut up about this movie, uh, go watch it. (laughs) (laughs) I echo Dan. It's one of the more original pieces of work I've seen this year, and it was truly truly a unique cinematic even though i didn't see it in the theater experience yeah (laughs) Uh, i do really want to check that one out um another one that i would like to shout out is it's not my favorite movie movie of the year but it is one of my favorites and not too many people i think have seen it and it's the assistant Mm, yeah oh oh god so good like that movie it's it's very like kind of quiet and slow, but very intentionally so. And I think it is so incredibly effective in what it's trying to say about this culture of workplace harassment. And I think it's done so well. Highly recommend people check it out. So, so well done. Uh, my favorite movie of the year. It feels kind of strange to say it's a favorite because it is so harrowing. It's actually a small documentary called Rewind. Um, I know, Matt, you've seen this movie. Yeah. Uh, It's beyond hard to watch. It traces um, a legacy of abuse through generations. So obviously it's not an easy watch, but it is one of the more engaging documentaries I've seen this year, and I've seen a weird amount. Um, It makes really good use of the form. A lot of documentaries, I think, could have been as well served if they were a magazine article or a podcast episode. But Rewind is a movie that a documentary that only could have been told through the medium of film. And uh, for that reason alone, I really recommend it. Uh, That was actually probably my, yeah, it's definitely my favorite documentary I've seen this year. It's also my third favorite movie of the year so far, right behind, as I mentioned before, baby teeth. And then number one, I I have to have to sing the praises of never rarely, sometimes always, a film that I saw at Sundance and uh, got a release. I remember it was the weekend of the shutdown, which was so unfortunate for that movie. But it was released digitally for people to rent. And some people have had a chance to catch it. And it, it's remarkable. And the debut performance by Cindy Flanagan is just a knockout. It's so good. I really enjoyed In the Heights, Soul and No Time to Die. <laughs> that would be really one of the films from this first half of the year. Oh, sorry. That's I would love to know how you watch those, uh, Michael. Please yeah. do tell me more. <laughs> sorry. Those are from my other friends. Who's all, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> what I'll say here, though, is uh, I'll give a shout out to our friend Nicole Ackman, who persuaded me to download this movie to my iPad when I was traveling overseas earlier this year before all the madness began. Uh, she convinced me to watch the Taylor Swift documentary, Miss Americana. Yeah. And uh, I found that to be very engaging, I have to say. Uh, great access to who Taylor Swift is as a person and a performer. And a uh, great, like, 85-minute watch, something like that. So if you want to learn more about her and just get some access to who she is off stage, I found that to be really good. Uh, same with the Michelle Obama documentary about her book, Becoming. When uh, we're all looking for something light and enjoyable in these troubled times, nothing makes me feel better than watching one of the great first ladies for an hour and a half. So highly recommend both of those and they're on Netflix. Also want to give a shout out to some big uh, blockbuster films that actually did get seen by a lot of people uh, before the shutdown. You know, you have Invis- the invisible man with Elizabeth Moss kind of, kind of also just mentioning Elizabeth Moss again, uh, Shirley, uh, which wasn't a big blockbuster that released on Hulu later on, but you know, we got to sing the praises of, of Elizabeth Moss with these two films. She's yeah. just been remarkable this year so far. It's her year onward. Mm-hmm. Uh, best animated film of the year so far. That is until people see Soul, probably. 
but um, I actually was very surprised by the charm of Onward, and it got me to cry in the third act. So good, <laughs> good for good Pixar. Movie. And Octavia Spencer is so good in Onward. I hope like we put her in our next Best Picture Awards lineup for voiceover at the end of the year. Uh, also want to give a shout out to the King of Staten Island. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it was definitely one of the more high profile releases that we've had so far. Defy Bloods. I mean, Jesus, what more can be said? Yeah. about the five bloods that hasn't Spidey. already been said yeah, we've talked about it so much but uh delroy lindo my god just oh definitely the performance of the year so far mm-hmm. oh yeah. oh my god incredible and i'd like i'd like to throw in driveways yo in terms of a small movie that was really good yeah i really enjoyed driveways a lot anybody else here see that yeah i saw it yeah yeah I mean, it's really hard, you know, to find a tiny movie in this climate, uh, especially in the streaming uh, world right now that, you know, can really, really have impact on you. And that was definitely one. And uh, Baby Teeth was the other for me. Um, I want to give a shout out also, though, to a film I saw at Tribeca last year, but finally released on digital uh, streaming this year. Uh, Dan Bear, I know you've seen this one, Buffaloed. Oh, oh. Yeah. Zoe yeah. Dutch, man. She's so good. She's like, the real deal. One of the best leading performances of the year, no question. Mm-hmm. And then there's like ingenuity and in storytelling, uh, like with something like The Vast of Night that I found to be really intriguing. And that's uh, streaming right now on Amazon Prime. Highly urge people to check that out. Premature is another one, 86 minutes long, and just a really beautiful love story. I, I find that there is still like a lot of good things out there, but everyone just just is focusing on like the big ones, yeah. you know. And then you had you, you do have stuff like The Lodge, you know, which you know is probably I loved The Lodge. It's probably the best horror movie uh, or, or The Invisible Man, you know, that we've gotten so far this year. I would say. Mm-hmm. I want to give a shout out since we're going to have to get used to doing this. A movie that was um, eligible at last year's Oscars, but came out this year. Um, and then we danced. Yeah, which is a uh, Swedish film set in Georgia, the country, not the state, um, about a young man who's part of a national dance troupe um, who is dealing with his homosexuality, and it's so well done. The performances are incredible. The filmmaking is really, really solid, and it's a shame that it couldn't have that it didn't make the lineup for foreign. Uh, in best international feature last year because it really deserved it. Yeah, it's a lovely little movie. It really is. You know where the other two, Dan, that come to mind uh, when you mentioned that uh, films that qualified for that uh, Oscar last year, but can qualify for the other Oscars uh, this year, uh, Baccarat and Beanpole. Mm. Yeah. Oh, love Beanpole. Beanpole. It is so, so good. Yeah. And I'd like to throw in Corpus Christi, too. Corpus Christi was good, yeah. I'm just going to give a quick shout out. Sorry, I know I'm mentioning like everything at this point, but I, I feel like these have to be said. Uh, First Cow, uh, which finally I think people are going to get a chance to see very, very soon next month, which I'm yeah. super excited about. Right. Uh, Swallow, oh. which surprised <laughs> wow. the hell out of me. Swallow's probably <laughs> one of my and favorites. And I, I, I know that this is a television movie. I understand that, but <laughs> I do want to just shout out Bad Education. <laughs> shout out Corey Finley, one of my mm-hmm. favorites from TIFF last year. That movie is something incredible. Both yeah, you. that was the best thing I've seen all year. Yeah. It's in my top ten. I mean, if it, I can put Netflix stuff in, I can put this in. 
Okay. Yeah, but it's not contending for Oscars. It's contending for Emmys. It, you know, it is what it is in terms of technicalities, you know. <laughs> All right, let's hear uh, really quickly from some other people that sent in some nice, kind words over to us here over at the podcast. Adam Clay. Next Best Picture is one of my favorite film podcasts. I've been listening to you guys for about two and a half years. I applaud you, Matt, on working your ass off to create a space for movie fans that care just as much about community as it does about healthy film discussion. Mazel tov. And also here, Scott Kernan. I always look forward to listening to a new episode of this amazing podcast. My first listen was on the date of March 3rd, 2018, where I listened to your final Oscar predictions of the first year. I really started to follow them, and I've become an avid fan ever since. So that's really cool. And why the hell not? One more. Uh, Renato uh, Sosa says, I just want to say that I really appreciate what you guys do because I don't know anyone um, in person who cares about movies the way I do. So I used to feel very lonely before. But after getting on Twitter and finding you guys and other podcasts, I see that there are other people who care about movies and the Oscars. And it was really great seeing people who felt like I did when Parasite won, when my family was looking at me like I was crazy for caring that much about people who I never met winning an award. Ronaldo, I got to just say really quickly, Going back to the early days before uh, any of this even existed, that was my goal. I was in that exact same spot. I, too, felt isolated and alone, and I felt like I loved movies, and I didn't know anyone in my life that did. And I listened to podcasts by Sasha Stone, Chris Tapley, Clayton Davis, and Ann Thompson, and I quickly kind of realized that there are people out there. Now, how do I get into that world? Where is it? You know, and it was all about just trying to dig it up and become a part of it. And also too creating something for people to feel connected to. So I feel like I accomplished that goal uh, with the show. And um, that's been probably like the great accomplishment of my life so far. So I'm really, really proud of that. And I thank you for sharing that with us. Honestly, it's been one of my the highlights of my past few years since I joined to get to talk about movies with you guys at least a couple times a week, mostly. And it's definitely been a saving grace of the past four months. <laughs> yeah, certainly. And, you know, just to highlight Dan and Josh here, um, two new Critics Groups members as a result of the collaboration uh, and the hard work that you guys have put in as well. So, you know, it, it reaps its rewards. And I'm very, very proud of uh, both of you in particular uh, for that. Thanks, Matt. Polls. We asked everyone their favorite film of 2020 so far. A popularity contest, maybe. Let's see. Let's see the results. All right. First things first. Michael, best film of 2020 so far is? The Five Bloods. Okay. Tom. I'd say The Invisible Man. Cody. I was going to say The Five Bloods. Josh. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. Dan Bear. I, know, I already know, but... <laughs> I know. Aviva, if we're talking more wide release, then I'd actually say Emma. Ooh, Emma. That's one we didn't shout out before. Nice call out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kaya? The Invisible Man. And mine is never really, sometimes, always. Let's see what the community voted on. Here we go. Number 10. Oh, my gosh. Number 10. We did not mention this one. <laughs> <laughs> number 10 is the Ben Affleck starring film, The Way oh. Back. Mm. Okay. I mean, it's one of the few wide releases I think people have seen uh, this year. Right. I I think that played a part for sure. Uh, Number nine is The Vast of Night. Okay. Number eight is Emma. And that's on period. (laughs) (laughs) Number seven is Shirley. 
All right. Good. I'm glad it made it. Number six is the last. Uh, I, I almost said it again. The last king of Staten Island. <laughs> the king of Staten Island. <laughs> <laughs> the last king of Scotland. <laughs> uh, number five is Onward. Number four is Never Really, Sometimes, Always. Yes. Number three is Birds of Prey. Oh. And with a difference of 12 votes. Number two is The Invisible Man. Yeah. And number one is Defy Bloods. Nice. Makes complete sense. So thank you, MVP film community, for your votes there. Now for this week... Uh, we actually got a trailer last week for uh, Hamilton, which is going to be premiering this week on Disney+. Plus. So for those of you that have never seen the show live on Broadway with its original cast, this is going to be a great opportunity to see a filmed uh, production of it. I think it was filmed over, I think, three performances or so. And uh, it's really, really exciting. I, I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it as somebody who has actually never seen clips of the show, has only heard the music and never even heard the music like straight through from beginning to end. So for all intents and purposes, this will be like my first time experiencing Hamilton. And I know that for a lot of people out there that also have Disney Plus, this will be their first experience as well. And for such a cultural phenomenon, that's a really cool thing. So uh, for this week's poll, we're asking everyone, which 21st century musical would you like to see adapted to film? And now, listen, I understand Hamilton's not a quote-unquote film. It's a, you know, staged production that is shot live, and, you know, they're going to edit it together and such. I get that. Uh, but, you know, think about, like, something like In the Heights that is coming out uh, next year, you know? Like, what what is a, a musical you want to see made into a feature production musical? There are wishes in the Broadway circles that have been going around for years. Uh, Cody and Daniel back me up here. But Matt, this is always one of your favorite people, Miss Tony Collette, <laughs> who people I have, have been long saying this. wanted to see. Dan, you want to finish it? I have been saying this since I saw this musical a decade ago. Give me a next to normal movie with Tony Collette and Patrick Wilson, or give me death. <laughs> Tony Collette would win the Oscar. She absolutely, absolutely would. It. Ugh. God. So that's been a big one. I would love to see what the fun home movie looks like. And that is in very early stages of production with Jake Gyllenhaal involved. But that is such a theatrical piece that there's a way that I think it could work on film, not unlike the framing device they used in Little Women last year. I think that would be utterly fascinating. Yeah, Michael, that's my vote, too. The way the musical plays with time and space, I think, would be really benefited by traditional film editing. I would love to see it. I'm actually, like, seeing how they would do Telephone Wire in my head now while we're talking about it, and I just, like, got very emotional. <laughs> I'm kind of amazed that it's taken this long for a Wicked musical uh, to come out. I know it's been talked about for years, but I'm like yeah. shocked and amazed that it hasn't happened yet. I'm not surprised. I think part of that all. with Hamilton, I'm shocked that it's going uh, to Disney Plus so quickly. I mean, I'm glad it is. I can't wait to see it again. But with that, it's still so popular on Broadway, whereas Wicked is still selling out and breaking records 17 years later. So they could literally wait another five to ten years for that movie, and it'll still be a huge hit. I think yeah. we've seen the release date move for various reasons, but the product overall will still be pretty great when it happens. Uh, you know, you have Mark Platt and Stephen Daldry, and everyone's still attached to it. So it'll happen at some point. It's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> what about, um, and, and who knows, maybe... Uh, 
I don't know what would happen here, but what do you guys think about like Book of Mormon? Do you think that will happen at some point? That's absolutely going to happen at some point. Maybe. I don't know what it's yeah. going to look like Eventually. as a movie. Yeah. It's, it's too the cinematic. big ones are always turned into movies. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see a smaller musical that is very theatrical, and I, I think there's a way to transfer it to film, called The Drowsy Chaperone. Mm, I yeah. love that musical so much. It's a I, funny, funny. It it, it is ba- You know, it's it's very stage bound. But if they could yeah. transfer that into fantasies about film musicals, that would be really interesting. Get Damien Chazelle on the case. I yeah. think there was a <laughs> film that was announced for it, starring Jeffrey Rush. I might be hallucinating, but I remember there was yes. rumblings nope. of something with happening with him. I remember that. That's true. Yeah, but never I, never came together. See- I could see Hugh Jackman in that role. I don't think he has to sing, and I think he's a better actor <laughs> for than it. singer. No, Hugh Jackman isn't nerdy enough. Yeah. <laughs> don't tell him that. I think the smaller musicals, the ones that closed early, would be interesting uh, transfers to film, like Bright Star or Shuffle Along. Mm-hmm. Bright Star would make a great film. And I... and. Since Steve Martin is part of the creative team, it could happen. Yeah. Uh, of course, we know the prom is coming out this year. Dear Evan Hansen will happen very soon. We're hearing early word about that. Uh, looking at this list that Matt put up of musicals from the 21st century, I could tell you one that should never be made, and this was announced years ago and just never happened. We do not ever, ever, ever need a Memphis movie. Yeah. That musical is not good and got really (laughs) lucky its year. Yeah, It's amazing that it won the Tony Award in retrospect. Yeah, Yeah, I saw that show in previews, and I remember being like, this is going to flop, this is going to get panned, and then cut to six months later, won the Tony. So I don't know what happened. In our current cultural moment, I don't think we need a movie with a song titled Everyone Wants to Be Black on Saturday Night, written by two white guys. There you go. Yeah, (laughs) One of them who was a keyboardist for Bon Jovi. All that needs to be said, really. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So head on over to the polls page over at nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote over there. Let us know uh, which musical from the 21st century you would like to see be made into a movie. All right. Now let's hear now uh, from some other friends of the podcast uh, as we reflect on 200 episodes. Hey, Mike One and also Mike from Mike, Mike and Oscar here to say congratulations to Matt Neglia and everyone at Next Best Picture on this milestone. 200 canonical episodes of the next best picture podcast i mean with all the side series you guys do that is an incredible feat mm. you guys run a great show it's it's often a panel show so i think your editor like must be one of the best in the business and probably a saint living amongst amongst <laughs> all of us with all those tracks so job well done guys yeah congrats again and just on a personal note to matt and the whole nbp team Thank you for being so kind to two Oscar files named Mike like you have been. We certainly wouldn't be where we are without your support and help over the past couple years. So congrats once more, and here's to 200 more. Hello, guys. This is Rosa from Latinx Lens and In Their Own League. Wow, 200 episodes. What What a great milestone to achieve, and I couldn't be happier for you guys. Congratulations to Matt and the entire, entire team of the next Best Picture. I have been honored and privileged to be a guest, not once, but twice. (laughs) I had the honor to be uh, part of the review. I was able to talk about Late Night, and I was able to talk about Emma P. 
period. <laughs> and late night was the first episode I've ever done uh, in a in podcast. And I will forever be grateful to you, Matt, for allowing me um, to voice my opinions, voice my thoughts, and giving a person like myself who had zero experience in podcasting, who was barely starting in, in film criticism and, and reviewing movies, yet you took that risk and you gave me an opportunity. And for that, I will always be grateful. I had the immense honor to meet you earlier this year over at Sundance. And man, it, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing meeting you. And I have nothing but great things to say about you, Matt, and about the entire team that, that comprises the next, next Best Picture podcast. You guys are all amazing. You're doing amazing work. There's a reason why you guys are at 200 episodes, because the audience loves what you're doing, and myself included. So keep up the great work. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep being amazing, keep being awesome, and again, I will always be grateful for giving me that opportunity. And hopefully, we get to meet again, Matt, and when we do, I will make sure to paint you like one of those French girls. Until then, <laughs> cheers to everybody. Again, congratulations, and cheers with five-hour energy shots. Hey Matt, this is Aaron at Feelin' Film and I just wanted to send you a quick note with lots of love and congratulations on episode 200. Man, what a milestone. You have always been such an inspiration. You are one of the hardest working podcasters in this business and the quality productions that you continue to put out from Next Best Pictures are amazing. I am always impressed by the community that you have built and the amount of people that absolutely love and rely on your content, your reviews, your talk shows, everything you do. You have your pulse on the game, especially when it comes to awards. And I don't think that the film community would be the same without what you do. It's amazing. Here's to another awesome 200 episodes. I hope you're enjoying this and we are really glad that you exist. And now for our second trailer uh, for this week, Jessica Chastain back on screen again or back on our laptops or television sets. Who knows at this point? Film is scheduled to be released September 25th by Vertical Entertainment, a uh, company that we've been getting a lot of films from actually during this quarantine period. I've noticed uh, that normally we most likely probably would not have watched in a normal film year, but... <laughs> They're the only like game in town that's been produ producing content, so we've seen a lot of their movies. Here is one that's directed by Tate Taylor um, that was originally supposed to be directed by Matthew Newton, uh, who dropped out due to uh, sexual assault allegations and charges, actually, uh, that he pled guilty to. Um, so yikes all around. Yeah. Uh, but this movie is still indeed coming out. It's also starring John Malkovich, Common, Gina Davis, and Colin Farrell. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. This is Ava. Monsieur Hamilton? You like what you see? Peter, why would someone not want you to be alive anymore? What are you talking about? Code 8227. Confirmed. Subject's closed. I know you like Ava. 
But she's a liability. No, not her. She's best to brief. I recruited her. I trained her. She's talking to the targets! Ava. I'm good. I promise you. Keep your head down, kiddo. Management will be watching on this one. You did something bad. I wouldn't have sent me if you had. Who was responsible? The company had nothing to do with it. You don't believe that, Duke. You keep breaking protocol. I asked you to marry me, and then you just disappeared for eight years. She's always been Duke's favorite, but she's a loose cannon. Not a danger to the organization. I want her killed. Tell them tooth or finger, I don't care which. I warned you. I'm not going to be able to protect you a second time. You need to rescind the kill order. You know I can't do that. This is business. Lovely morning for it, Ava. <laughs> Put security around my family on high alert. Are we sure we haven't seen this movie before? Not only that, but did we really have to see the entire movie in the trailer itself? Yeah. yeah. You don't have thing. to go see the movie, just watch the trailer. Look, I am here for this cast, and I get what you're saying, but we clearly have not seen the whole movie in the trailer, because where the fuck is Gina Davis? <laughs> <laughs> it's disrespect to Oscar winner Gina Davis. Also, too, has anyone... Like, I know there are others out there. Don't get me wrong. But Tate Taylor has such an odd filmography that it still drives me crazy to this day. The the movies that he's put together, going from The Help to Get On Up to The Girl on the Train to Ma. And now with uh, Ava. Yeah, if they had said from the director of Ma instead of Girl on the Train, I probably would be a little more interested. But that you know, directing that by <laughs> the brain. So. Also, too, like, listen, I'm always here for John Malkovich just doing John Malkovich things. I I, I like what Common has done actually with uh, his screen career so far, um, and. Colin Farrell, I mean, he's incredibly hit or miss, <laughs> like incredibly. Mm-hmm. You just yeah. never know if he's going to be great or if he's going to be awful. And here I was like, whoa, buddy, dial it back several notches, please. <laughs> Although I don't know what it says about me that I would just found myself laughing so hard when Colin Farrell just started punching elderly John Malkovich. <laughs> 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 Uh, Jessica Chastain, you poor girl. I feel I feel awful because I, I, I listen. Maybe it's surprisingly decent. Maybe. But by all indication, I, I'm just not feeling it. I mean, Tate Taylor is not a boat of confidence. Her career has taken a very days. interesting turn. Mm. Interesting is an interesting word. I mean, <laughs> OK, a lover in Molly's game. Thought she was great in that. Thought she was great in Miss Sloan. Thought she was really good, in, you know, even in an ensemble film like The Martian. Crimson Peak. She's great in Crimson Peak. But the early 2010s, she was, I think, really at a, a high point. 
and since then it's just been questionable choices kind of layered in there with the the decent ones that have actually worked i mean dark phoenix was awful <laughs> we oh, come on Matt. back in 2012 yeah, I just remember for a time she was like, she'll get an Oscar one day, don't worry. And now it, she hasn't, you know, mm-hmm. been back in almost a decade. So I don't really know what, what's going to happen there. Like going from Dark Phoenix to It Chapter 2 to this movie, it's not looking that good for her. And then I think to myself, if we had just corrected this and just given her the Oscar for Zero Dark Dirty, then I'm like, oh no. But then we would have not have gotten Lupita Nyong'o exactly. next year because they would have right. given it to Jennifer yeah. Lawrence for American Hustle. So it's like, I can't do but that. But then we get Lupita Nyong'o Oscar nominee for us. So Maybe. Ooh, I like that, Cody. Very true. You know what? Maybe that is the way it would have turned out. That actually sounds a lot better. Wouldn't have happened. I forgot the answer for Teller. So sorry. You know what's also not going to happen? This movie becoming an Oscar hit. That's for sure. I don't think so, especially now that they've uh, changed the eligibility rules. Come on. Like, never say never. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, <laughs> just wait. Jessica Chastain is going to return. Get her Oscar for Tammy Faye Baker. <laughs> we love Jessica Chastain. We just like it when she has better material. That's all. Um, all right. So now what I want to do is this. Um, as Dan Bear mentioned earlier, uh, it's Pride Week. Uh, it's been Pride Month. It's Pride Day. It's Pride, Pride, Pride all around. I want to actually have a discussion here about Pride Month. I want to have a discussion about literally anything. Um, I'm going to take a step back on this one, and I'm going to just kind of kick back and let you guys let you guys take this wherever you want to take it, basically. Are there any films this year, for example, uh, from the first half of 2020 that have really, really captured like gay representation on screen in a way that made you guys, you know, uh, proud and you know that you want to share with others, for example. Uh, well, one that I really liked that came out earlier this year is this movie called Straight Up. And it's one that has um, a gay identity to it, but it does try to talk about some different shades within that spectrum. And it doesn't do it all with subtlety, but I found it to be very interesting still. I thought it was still very smartly written. I loved the performances from the two leads in it. It's a very small movie that passed under the radar for a lot of people, but one that I really, really enjoyed and is one of my favorites of the year. Um, One that I watched this year, but is actually from last year, uh, that didn't get a lot of eyes on it, and I think it should, is uh, Big Little Ones. Oh my god, I've loved that movie so much. Yeah, that was <laughs> I was not expecting it to be as good as it, as it was. Like No, yeah. it, it's so much better than it deserves to be. Mhm. Yeah. And I just want to like outside of the movies, I I want to say how heartening it's been at least in New York to see so many um so many LGBTQ folks out uh, protesting with the Black Lives Matter people and to see so many Pride events adopting that uh, movement and that language and bringing it into Pride celebrations because this has been a really weird year (laughs) to celebrate Pride Month. And it, but, you know, we have to stick together and move forward for to create a better world and it's nice to see everybody stepping up 
Um, kind of in that vein, I actually have an article that's coming out on the website uh, soon uh, where I looked at queer cinema that does have a political or protest edge to it. Um, I thought it was a good way to look at Pride movies this year, uh, like you said, Dan, in the face of all the protests going on right now. And as a reminder that the very first Pride was essentially a protest, if not a, yep. a riot. Yeah, no. so yep. it's, led, led by black trans women. Yep. It's yep. important to not, um, you know, as much as I love a celebratory gay movie, it didn't really feel like the kind of thing I want to be watching this year. So I collected um, a good number of them. And a lot of them are really short little documentaries that are like on YouTube. <laughs> you know, anybody <laughs> can just watch them. Um, one of the better ones I saw was uh, this 50 minute documentary on, uh, I found it on Amazon Prime, but it's not a Prime movie called Screaming Queens. And it is, yes, a, it's, mm-hmm. it was fantastic. Yes. It's a mini documentary about uh, an early queer uh, political event that I had never heard of. It was a uh, riot led by trans women three years before Stonewall at a a cafeteria in San Francisco that a lot of the um, trans sex workers frequented in the area. And it's informative, but also it's shockingly celebratory and joyous. And I think part of the reason is because the um, one of the co-directors is an actual trans woman from San Francisco, and she does a lot of the narrating of the film and it kind of gives it this air of like, this is our history. We lived in it. And also it's not, you know, morose or depressing. Not that there's not room for that, but it really is kind of, it's it's celebratory and it shows these people's lives. And I, I really, really recommend that. Yeah, I've seen that one too. It's really well done. And um, also I, you know, I've been doing this NBP quarantine film festival and it was Pride Month. So, of course, I had felt like I had to do Pride movies and tried to shout out as many <laughs> minority representations of LGBTQ people as I could. Um, <laughs> that that was not one of them. But you there's been so many movies recently that we are getting a wider range than we're used to of just like gay equals gay white men, um, mm-hmm. you know. Shout out to Tangerine and uh, Pariah and The Handmaiden. The Handmaiden. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Handmaiden fucking rocks. That movie is yep. phenomenal. Handmaiden rules. I'll never forget my first viewing of that and the twists and the turns that that story took. Oh I was God. like, this movie is amazing <laughs> like i had no idea where it was gonna go by the time yeah. we got to that third act <laughs> i still haven't seen it it's been on my list forever it's on amazon prime it's so i've been completely with obsessed with it since 2016 I, I remember seeing it um at the film society at lincoln center with like all these little old blue-haired ladies and just at one point and i'm just sure that everyone who's seen it knows the exact scene i'm talking about looking around going like oh my god God, they had no clue what they were getting themselves into, did they? They clearly had not seen Mulholland Drive 15 years prior. (laughs) Uh, Oh, man. Good stuff. Good stuff all around. I do want to acknowledge the passing of Joel Schumacher uh, this past Mm -hmm. week, an out gay director in Hollywood who, um, at the age of 80 years old, listen, didn't always make the greatest movies. But there's something to really, really admire about him doing things his own way within the studio system in Hollywood and 
I, I do have a nostalgic sense for a lot of his movies, not just the Batman films, but also Phantom of the Opera. And I I genuinely love um, like Tigerland and Phone Booth, you know? He had a real way with actors. Um, speaking of Colin Farrell, Farrell is so good in Phone Booth. And uh, if you've ever seen Philip Seymour Hoffman in Flawless, it's a remarkable performance. And that was that was the film that really put him on my radar. And it's like, oh, my God, this guy has got something. And it was brought out by Joel Schumacher. Yeah. Too bad he couldn't do that with Jim Carrey in a number 23. <laughs> well, There's a great tweet for a mini driver. She said, Joel Schumacher oh, yeah. was the funniest, trustiest, most hilarious director I worked with. Once on set, an actress was complaining about me with an earshot, how I was dreadfully over the top. I was. Joel barely looked up from his New York Times and said, oh, honey, no one ever paid to see under the top. <laughs> it's so that. true. Oh, my God. It's I, so that true. Is like, that is essentially his entire filmmaking philosophy. And, like, shout out to a director that managed to bring a gay sensibility to movies without directly making gay movies lots of the time mm-hmm. i i mean like especially the batman movies but really just throughout his career lost boys come on yeah. <laughs> you look at his yeah. batman movies and they're not great per se but they're just so much more full of life and character than anything you see coming out of the dc studio these days Very over hard. the top indeed those yeah. movies are so camp there's so much fun. I was asking my roommate the other day. I was like, who do you think has a better line delivery in the Batman universe? Killian Murphy saying the Batman or or Jim Carrey in Batman Forever saying I'm Batman. <laughs> and he like full laps his arms. <laughs> oh, Batman Forever. Oh. <laughs> so much. The level of camp is just it's just honestly. I know at the time it was like decried, but I love that we look back on it now and we're just like, yeah, this was fun. But yeah. pissing off fanboys is like gay icon status. That's that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. He was also a great costume designer. He did the costumes for The Last of oh. Sheila, which was written by Anthony Perkins and Stephen Sondheim, if you oh believe it. Wow. And he started off as a screenwriter and wrote The Wiz. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, and an incredible career. I have a lot of respect for him. Like we said, his movies weren't always great, but they were always him, and I loved him for it. Yeah. 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 Thank you. All right. So now uh, we have one more person that we're going to hear from. Uh, this is Ryan McQuaid. Let's hear from Ryan really quick. Hello, Matt and the next Best Picture team. This is Ryan McQuaid from In Session Film and AwardsCircuit.com. Wow. 200 episodes. What an achievement. What a reason to celebrate. That is amazing news to hear that you guys have made it all the way through 200 episodes talking about subjects that you're passionate about. And that, of course, being the Academy Awards and movies and Oscars and so many other wonderful things. I have to give a shout out to so many of the amazing writers uh, that have been coming along over the last couple of years. Your words are inspirational thought-provoking, interesting, hilarious, scandalous, even at times, from festival to festival, to screening to screening, to now home screenings and VOD releases. You guys have kept up your end of the deal in making some of the best writing in all of our crazy, hypnotic, dangerous, 
hilarious film Twitter world. To Will Mavity, the ultimately nicest guy on the planet, the guy that makes me smile every time he sings, whether it's on this show or on Twitter. He is so insightful, so endearing. Will, you're going to make a great lawyer one day. I hope you're able to defend all of us. I hope you're able to bail us out. Um, I definitely want you to be my lawyer, Will, because you are a great human being. Speaking of great human beings, Michael, you are one of the best people I know in this crazy world. Um, Michael can have this ability that not many others can where we can go through links of not speaking to one another and pick up like old friends. He has interesting tastes that drive Matt extremely bonkers and up the hill, but it is wonderful podcasting to hear all those takes. And Michael, I do cherish our friendship and I thank you so much. And for Matt Neglia. Matt Neglia, for many people that don't know, was one of the first people I really contacted through all of hashtag film Twitter. And he was kind enough to come on an old show of mine and do two hours of podcasting. And we ended up talking for almost three hours, three and a half hours, I believe, Matt. Don't quote me on that. And I could tell then that this person was genuine, real, and a very very hard worker. And that's what Matt has become. Matt, you are the reason that I'm at in session film. Um, you are the reason that I strive to do what I do every day. One of the reasons at least, uh, because of the fact that your hard work and determination has created so many platforms for so many people. Uh, you can, I can honestly say this without a doubt that without next best picture, it would be a harder place for the film community to have these avenues and these places for all of us to speak and for all of us to listen. It's been a thrill to listen to 200 episodes. I hope there's 200 more, 300 more, 400 more. I hope I'm able to come back on and talk with you guys. I love talking with the next best picture team. I mean, if, if you haven't listened to an episode of chasing the gold, you would know that pretty much half of my lineup has always been you guys anyway. But I cherish all of you guys so much. And here's the 200 episodes. Thank you guys so much. Yo, 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 what up? It's your boy, Kobe Mack. And shout out to 200 episodes to the next Best Picture Podcast. And mad love to the entire NBP team. Way too many folks to name, but I'll try. Yo, one love to my main man, Matt Neglia. Brother, I'm proud of you. Thanks for everything you do. Thanks for building together this dope team of dope individuals doing dope things. Josh P, Danny B, Mavity, Nikki A, Lamango, a.k.a. LaMagna, my girl Bianca over in the UK, Ryan, Howitt, Tom O'Brien, Sarah, CLC, a.k.a. Casey Lee Clark. What up, Casey? Amanda, Danilo, and probably like a million other folks just waiting in the wings. You all are a part of my daily life and essential to this community. I thank you for the content for being allies, being real homies, and an ever-growing pod. And I hope you guys reach the heights that you've all envisioned. Let's raise a social distance glass. Cheers to 200, and Kobe cheers to 200 more podcast episodes. And when they ask you where you heard it from, you tell them Kobe told me. Peace. All right, and now before we get to our fan questions to... End things off here today with our 200th episode. I do have uh, some other uh, shout outs here from uh, some of our fans. Oscar H says, (laughs) 
I, I listened through some of the older episodes, despite those award se- seasons being over, because they are simply just like watching movies. Fun. Like, for example, the 90th Oscars prediction episode where Matt couldn't decide what movie to predict for Best Picture is hilarious. And <laughs> I did I did reference that earlier. Yes, it, it was stressful. Um, film and Food Podcast says, My passion for film was growing at a massive rate around the same time Next Best Picture began. I have grown and learned so much as a cinephile, become aware of movies and viewpoints of such variety from listening to MVP. A great team and a truly great potty. Potty? Okay. And inspiration. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I'm definitely going to use the word potty more often now. <laughs> I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Tim over from First Time Watchers. Uh, Best of luck on 200 more episodes and beyond. Keep up the great work. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Now, let's answer some questions. From the MVP film community, I did ask them if they would uh, share with us not just a question, but also a favorite memory from the show, if they have one. Let's see what some people said here. Ryan McQuaid. Uh, what is the best film you have ever seen as a member of the NBP team? Doesn't have to be a new release. Could be a classic you never saw before as well. Also, was there a time where one of the members of the MBP team changed your opinion on a film after you recorded a podcast? I mean, is it, is it cliche to say Parasite might be the best film I've seen since <laughs> becoming a staff member? It seems obvious, but I off the top of my head can't think of another one. I, I think that that's, yeah, because I don't know if I'm going to include the retrospective in that. But yeah, I, I think I would have to say Parasite as well. It's very hard to choose between Parasite and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I, I, I actually vividly remember our Parasite review, me just saying the line. I think I said this line three times. It's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> My choice is... No, I, say, I just wanted to add, I remember I saw it very, very early. And um, I really felt very uncomfortable talking about it because... I, it, it's a, such a difficult movie to explain, but once everybody saw it, I was so relieved at uh, that their reaction was the same as mine. My choice is to quote Faye Dunaway, La La Land. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of a time where I changed my opinion on a movie after a podcast. I've had times where my grade has gone like up or down one from the discussion, but I, I don't know if I've had something like drastically change. You know, yeah, I will say I will say this. I will say that um, maybe, you know what, even though it wasn't that hard of a turn, our recent review of the imitation game was one where I thought was it was extremely enlightening to hear the problems that that movie has that I think on a first viewing uh, myself and, you know, many, many others still to this day uh, don't fully recognize or realize or there necessarily. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, similarly, I actually really enjoyed our discussion of Inherent Vice. And because that was a movie that my opinion didn't really change, but I was very happy to hear different points of view for a film that I had not seen in a very long time. And that is always very interesting when I get to do that. Yes. I'm looking forward to our interstellar review for that very reason. (laughs) (laughs) I am too. This wasn't after a podcast, but Ryan Showers back in 2018 did get me to see The Favorite again after my first viewing where I just left, you know, very cold and had no reason to like it. I thought it was. uh, Oh, you used the cold complaint. 
<sighs> I, I thought they were just mean and bitter people and I had no reason to care about them. And I just thought the movie was ugly and dark and just wasn't a fan. But, you know, he talked to me. I said, OK, I'll see it again because everyone else seems to like it. And I guess I appreciated the humor more, but also more the pathos and the tragedy of Rachel Weisz's character and Olivia Coleman's Queen Anne, of course. And I really came to appreciate that movie. And I think it's like my second or third favorite of that year now. I really did a total 180. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've had movies that have climbed up the climbed up the ladder. And I mean, my my most recent one was Uncut Gems. <laughs> you know, like that was a complete 180 for me. Yeah, it happens sometimes. And that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah, especially when they keep getting brought up on the pod every now and then, either through polls or just discussion. And then you start realizing, uh, hearing other perspectives over time. Oh, maybe I should go back and revisit that. You know, I, I, I love that you guys convinced me to go back and revisit Curious Case Benjamin Button that one time. That was great. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> on this one, that's the M guy, 1988. Uh, congratulations, you guys, for your 200th episode. Uh, this must have been a really long road for you guys. I say keep moving forward no matter what. Uh, Dan Bear is probably the best member of the MVP team. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope to see you guys join a Gold Derby roundtable someday. <laughs> well, thank you, That's the M Guy 1988. No one appreciates that more than Dan Bear right now, I'm That's sure. That's very heartening <laughs> to hear. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody check his Venmo quick. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's fantastic! All right, so uh, this is the this is the question. Uh, a couple of days ago, Inception, Batman Begins, and The Prestige were being released for the cinema experience inside Fortnite as a sponsor to Nolan's Tenant. What movies do you guys think should get to see inside the video game or inside Fortnite, for example? I don't play Fortnite. I don't understand the the hype around this. I don't either, but like from what minimal bits I know about it, it would make sense, I think, to show Free Guy in there. Ooh. Oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. Good answer I can come up with because I think <laughs> about yeah. video games. <laughs> oh, man. I <laughs> Logan Van Winkle says, my favorite memory from the podcast is Michael not giving up on Mary Poppins returns until nomination day. <laughs> There was no reason to in some of those categories. It did pretty well in the precursors. Lindy Erickson, what has been your happiest Oscar moment and your most upsetting? I mean, all of 2018 is kind of like, oh boy, like Mm -hmm. between, you know, the Bohemian Green Book Vice trifecta that walked away with, what, eight awards total? My God. Although 2018 does have Olivia Coleman winning Best Actress. Sure, Which sure. will always a be a favorite. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That. Also, uh, Ruby Carter winning for Black Panther was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Finally. Regina I, King. Yeah. yeah, Regina King kicking off the night with that win for Beale Street was great. Yeah, it's a no, it, it had moments. It had moments. Yeah. I remember the early part of the ceremony where it was a lot of tech awards going to pay me, and it was like, my God. And then it got a little better when we started getting the acting awards, and then it went like original screenplay, best picture, and it was just... Not fun to watch anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I would have helped. One of my happiest memories, but saddest times is definitely watching the 2018 Golden Globes with Matt Neglia and Nicole Ackerman at my apartment in New York City. And the, the way the room just deflated when they announced the best picture went to <laughs> <laughs> was we were all just so 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 sad yeah like the green bay uh, green bay the green book win um i was like able to justify it a little bit 
And then I was like, well, if Roma wins this, like, I think it's still like in the driver's seat or, or not even Roma because it wasn't nominated. Um, like Black Clansman or something. It, it, honestly, anything, yeah. anything that had just won other than Bohemian. But when Bohemian won, I was just like, I was stunned. <laughs> I yeah. was absolutely None of stunned. Us knew what to do or say, it was no. yeah. Uh, my happiest Oscar moment is definitely Parasite. I, I, I mean, I could go further back than that. Obviously, it's like Marty winning for Departed or something like that. But like Parasite winning was just such a. And I and I and I conceded this recently uh, that if 1917 had won, I would not have been upset. I no. freaking love 1917. Yeah. I loved it. But as well. but Parasite winning was like, I, I you know I just felt like we had like ascended to a, a new high in Oscar appreciation in that moment. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I my I had a really this is gonna sound really weird, but the 2016. Uh, scandal of best picture is honestly one of my favorite moments and one of my happiest moments Mm -hmm. because people were talking about the Oscars again. Yeah. (laughs) Like regular people who don't talk, who don't go to films or see films or watch the Oscars regularly. were talking about it. And I, I distinctly remember that moment and I, I, I literally cried when they announced that it actually was Moonlight and showed the the envelope and everything because as much as La La Land was my favorite movie of that year, Moonlight winning that award is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and such so, such a moment, and it 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 has become a really weird. I mean, it was really weird at the time, but it has become even weirder that there's sort of this asterisk next to that best picture win. But like, I mean, talk about the best of both worlds. (laughs) And I, and I, and, and shout out to Jordan Horowitz who handled that moment really professionally. Seriously. Uh, DJ Valentine writes in, uh, 200, huh? You're now just a hundred away from wearing loincloths, painted on abs, and fighting in the shade. Congrats on your milestone. What? May you cast forever. <laughs> he he's a hoot. He's funny. As somebody who grew up in a town called Sparta, I never need to hear about three hundred ever again. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right, Scott Kernan. What were a few Oscar predictions that you made that ended up being right that was far before the Oscar season even happened? And uh, what were a few predictions that you made that proved to be completely wrong at the beginning of the Oscar season? I mean, obviously, I think we all would say Goldfinch from last year. We were all wrong. (laughs) Well, I actually remember in 2015, I actually do remember tweeting that Roger Deakins was going to win an Oscar for the Blade Runner sequel. And it wasn't even called 2049 at that point. I just, sight unseen, I just had a feeling that that was going to be the one that he was finally going to win for and called that more than two years before the movie even came out. So I was very... Josh, I think I did the same exact thing. I remember when the news was announced that he was coming on board, I was like, that is a recipe for success right there if I've ever seen one. It just seemed like that had to happen, yeah. I tried, I genuinely did try to make the same thing happen with Thomas Newman in 1917, where I Mm. tweeted it like a year before, and I tried to campaign so hard, and I I just was, was completely wrong. Completely wrong. I did the opposite. Hee <laughs> hee. Sorry. <laughs> also, too, Michael. Michael will remember this. Remember how hard 
uh, because it was my year in advance prediction, I stuck with silence all the way until the very end. <laughs> yep. There were some choices that here I was going to bring up on our very first episode. You and I, and I think Will, too, uh, were talking about Brian Cranston winning Best Actor for a movie called Wakefield. (laughs) 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 Amazing. (laughs) Okay. The only time that I remember making a super duper early prediction and being right was when they announced the Fences movie. Uh, with Violet Davis and Denzel Washington. I'm like, well, at least she's winning. Mm. Yeah, I think we all, I think that was the <laughs> earliest prediction we all kind of manifested in the main Yeah, in terms of something that I got very wrong, though, I've only ever made year in advance predictions like one or two times. And one of those times was when I said Michael Shannon was going to win Best Supporting Actor for the current war. Oh, oh, wow. oh, that hurt. Or, oh, yeah, that hurt. Um, there must be other good ones. I keep records of everything. And I always start my predictions like in January of the year before. So when you go back, it's like, oh, that definitely didn't happen. That, that didn't even come close. <laughs> well, Michael, uh, rules don't apply. Definitely did not apply. So <laughs> that one we were at least talking about until like the week before it came out. There's some where that just crashed and burned early, early on. Yeah, I remember being sure that the front runner was going to be the 2018 movie to beat, and uh, not so much. Womp womp. I do remember being one of the early calls for, um, and I'm sorry to bring this up, guys, but I, I, it was true. I was one of the early people to say Joker was going to be like a huge contender Oscar wise. You were. Oh, God. Yeah. Matt, I also walked out of my screening of that on opening night saying he's winning the Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I did too, honestly. He Yep. But Matt definitely called the across the board nominations like Yeah, Matt, you were the first sound. person I know who mentioned the score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at that. Yep. Crazy how sometimes you could be completely right and then you're completely wrong. The Irishman. <laughs> oh, here's the best one before we move on. I have from January twenty sixteen. Uh, my very first set of Best Picture predictions. Uh, best Picture nominee, Collateral Beauty. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh. oh. You look at that cast. You look at the date. You look at, you look at that title. No. You look at the filmmaker and go, oh, okay, no. He had some interesting projects in years prior. It made sense given what they were doing around that time. You would have no way of knowing just how bad that movie turned out. Correct. But a winner. I mean, same thing with something like uh, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. I just had no idea. That was up there. Hey, we were thinking because it opened New York or played at New York. Yeah. I remember. Coming out in the middle of November, Ang Lee. It was a big deal. There wasn't any reason to think otherwise. Uh, This one comes from James Robert Scott. Uh, favorite memory is hearing and the Oscar goes to Parasite in the intro for the first time. <laughs> I love Especially it. Especially after a year of it being Green Book. I'm sure that was yep. a nice oh, respite for people. Oh. <laughs> Two weeks of that. Oh, yeah. this, is a, this is an obvious uh, question, not to belittle his question, but for those that are listening that truly don't know, uh, let's provide some clarity here. Uh, with the release of Hamilton, originally set for cinemas and has an official MPAA PG-13 rating on Disney+, Plus, would this technically be eligible for the Oscars? 
technically, I guess, because Give Him Hell Harry got a nomination for James Whitmore back in the day, and that was like a filmed production. So maybe, it, you know, there's something with sound mixing or something in that regard. I don't think anything's going to happen, but technically yeah. it's eligible, I would yeah, think. Yeah, I don't think it's going to, but I, I guess they could, if they want to throw like a... Um, you know, symbolic acting award at Lin-Manuel or something like that. I mean, it, it could, it could happen. It's yeah. technically I mean, possible. And there yeah. was, there was a theatrical release date announced. It was next year, but still it was announced. Technically, if it's a planned release, that falls within the Academy's guidelines for this year. So, I mean, it just wouldn't be eligible for like a screenplay award. Hmm. I mean, I guess it, I guess it wouldn't. I don't really know why though. they didn't. They didn't adapt it, so it's not, I mean, you right, know. Right, because it, it wasn't written like for, I don't know, though. I mean, like, the yeah. performances weren't calibrated for film either, but, like, they're on film. I don't know. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure how they would play that. I don't know. It's like, not going it, to factor It doesn't in. matter, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, would have loved the, I would have loved the inevitable campaign that this would have gotten for adapted screenplay, however, if Lin-Manuel had rewritten it to remove the three fucks <laughs> because you know they would have done it uh, just as we were recording they had a new trailer come out and some of the shots are absolutely gorgeous like this is a filmed experience but they make it look as cinematic as possible so you know maybe there's an interesting cinematography connection there I don't know but I doubt it uh, at Josh Lampert uh, congrats on 200 what was the most challenging review you have done on the podcast and what made it so difficult? Well, oh. I can't think of anything like specific, but I always know that any movie that is just so like middle of the road, just OK, are that's always the hardest thing to talk about because it's like it's yeah. not bad, but it's not great. It's just OK. It's so difficult to find any enthusiasm in the discussion. Right, I think it's like it, I can't it, not recommend it, but I don't want to. Yeah. yeah. It's like, look yeah. through our reviews and look at whatever the shortest review podcast is. Mm. Probably that one. Yeah. For me, <laughs> because you'll know we can talk. Yeah. For me, the <laughs> toughest was not, not a, again, not anything specific, but to talk about a movie that um, is the reason I like it, it depends on a twist that you Ooh. can't really talk about in a um, review. Yeah. That's hard. That's yeah. hard. Don't you guys love it when I start off the review saying um, no spoilers and then midway through I'll be like, no, fuck it. Let's yeah, just talk spoilers. <laughs> yep. Sometimes there's no other option. Um, specifically, the hardest review I think I've ever done, and it actually turned out to be one of the best ones that we ever did, uh, was Joker. I was dreading that podcast review. Dreading it. And I remember openly saying that to all of you before we started. And I remember thinking I was going to have to like really, really play composer here and just try my hardest to get the band to play together, you know, very well with so many different uh, range of opinions and ideas and interpretations and lots of passion uh, as well. And so I thought that that episode was great. I look back on it and I say to myself, like, you know, maybe some of the takes that we had were wrong or they're just judged, you know, by some people as being, you know, maybe not very PC or whatever it was. But 
the range of discussion, the range of opinions in there. It's like it was like what I why I do this. I, I, I thrive and I live off of the discussion. And boy, oh, boy, did that movie ever have it. I, I remember specifically going to see that movie opening day because I wanted to be on the podcast review to talk about it with you guys. And if I was going to see it, then I wanted to talk about it with everyone. And that that conversation, that podcast did not disappoint. Yeah, we really had all possible uh, opinions on that, which I really enjoyed. It's a more interesting discussion. Like I said earlier, it's not always super interesting to me at least when we're all like oh my god it's amazing or oh my god it's terrible i mean those are fun obviously it's still fun yeah. to movies, but it's yeah. definitely a more engaging conversation when there's different opinions okay and i do want to uh before we get to our final uh piece right here i want to give a quick shout out to some people that aren't here right now uh daniel howitt uh for you know, running the Screeners Cast podcast, uh, became a, a member of the Nevada Film Critics Society while he was uh, a member here at Next Best Picture. Um, just someone who's always uh, extremely uh, reliable and always very professional. And I, I, I appreciate how it that you edit your uh, audio interviews before you send them to me. <laughs> Believe me, I really appreciate it. Uh, to Will Mavity. I mean, like, what else can be said about this guy? I mean, seriously, uh, I... He, he already knows. He knows. <laughs> uh, Josh Williams. Uh, Josh Williams, Danilo Castro. Uh, just those guys. Let me tell you, if it's a trash movie, I know I can ask them. <laughs> and I know that they will do it. Uh, and sometimes it's not trash. And sometimes like I, I misjudge. But those guys are, once again, reliable for the types of reviews that uh, people want to know about, but not everybody necessarily wants to see. So I thank you guys for jumping on grenades for those. And Danilo Castro, be on the podcast more. I love having you on the pod. And you have some really, really great, insightful yes. opinions, my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan C. Showers, always opinionated, always smart and articulate in how he conveys those ideas. Passion. I, when I think of Ryan, I think of passion. I find it so much in his writing. I find it so much in when he speaks. That guy just has a fierce dedication, loyalty, and passion for what we do here, and I really, really appreciate him for that. Nicole Ackman. Oh, my gosh. Talk about someone that's like grown so, so much here uh, from day one up until now. Um, I want to thank Nicole for her contributions, not just to um, – the next best picture podcast and the reviews that she's done, but also to someone who um, got accepted into a film critics uh, group as well for North Carolina. And uh, it's been great with uh, kind of bringing back next best adaptation where we review uh, literary material. That's going to be hopefully best adapted screenplay contenders and the contributions to next best theater to make it what it is as well. Ditto to, to Casey Lee Clark, Lauren LaMagna, uh, people that have made Next Best Theater just a tremendous amount of fun, as Dan, Michael, and Cody can attest mm-hmm. to as well. And just want to sh- loop you guys into that also and just say that I, I really, really am proud of what that podcast has become and how um, energized you guys make that and the range of topics and discussions. I'm always worried that, like, are they going to have something to talk about, like, this time? But there's always content, just like there is with movies, and it never ends. We always got something to talk about. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, Rebecca Daniel, uh, someone who uh, came on uh, fairly recently with us, but she's been a really, really strong contributor uh, as well. And uh, she's a really, really fantastic writer. Um, Amanda Spears. Amanda. Oh. Amanda is one of the most knowledgeable people on the planet 
when it comes to award season. I struggle. I have to look at like lists online f- to jog my memory of who won what, who was nominated for what. Amanda just knows. She has it in her brain, <laughs> which is insane. And she's just a, just a, a joy to have on all the time. Speaking of joy, uh, Bianca Gardner, someone who I greatly admire, who I don't know how in God's name she wears as many hats as she does. Uh, with the amount of projects that she chooses to take on, not just for podcasting, but for writing. And she also has a great um, site for In Their Own League with other writers as well um, that she's helped to foster and grow. And um, Kaya um, has written for them as well. So I know that she could speak to that. Uh, And then there's Sarah Clements, our editor, Sarah. Sarah, you literally saved my life (laughs) since you came on. I don't think I would have been able to handle um, everything that, uh, you know, came down uh, this year uh, without you. So um, your contribution has just been immeasurable. And I thank you so, so much for that. And to everyone that's here right now, I respect you all. I love you all. Thank you guys so much for making this what it is. And let's end things right now with the final piece of the show. You guessed it. It's Ethan May. (laughs) Ethan wants us. To go to Best Cinematography 2006. And he wants us to replace the weakest nominee, in our opinion, and choose who we think should be there instead. This is Best Cinematography 2006. Okay. Want me to read the nominees? Surely. Yes. Okay. So the winner was Pan's Labyrinth. And the other nominees that year were The Black Dahlia, Children of Men, The Illusionist, and The Prestige. Uh, uh, best nominee among them. Yeah. No, I mean, I'd love Vilma Sigmund, but I think the Black Dahlia was not one of his greats. Uh, mm-hmm. If I was to replace him, I would probably replace him with Barry Aykroyd for United '93. That's a good choice. Yeah. Ooh, I, that's a good looking choice. Looking at the films that were released that year, that's the only one that I, I would probably consider and um other than the fountain Ooh, that's a see like it's interesting how like 993 is like not an aesthetically pleasing choice but it's uh camera work that has to be so meticulously done for the editing um where the fountain is just just so beautiful to look at Mm-hmm. Yeah, this I era of the mid two thousands is always a little tricky with cinematography because we were still kind of like figuring out digital and color grading was completely like wacky at the time. We were figuring that out, so a lot of movies in the time period are kind of objectively ugly. Um, so I, but I think United ninety three is a great nominee. I also would throw out Casino Royale as a contender across the board in a lot of tech categories. But I mean, I think it looks pretty damn great. It's pretty slick. Would not I would add Michael Ballhouse for The Departed. Oh, yeah, yeah, hmm, hmm, interesting. I don't know. I, I think Departed looks good, but I don't know if I would put it in the lineup. But it's still it's still an interesting it's choice, regardless. Some of their shots. Yeah. Right, yeah, it's like they're... sturdy work. It's work you can't be mad at. I, I have to, I have to do this, and I'm so sorry, because I know that he's like persona non grata around here, but um, uh, Mel Gibson's Apocalypto looks incredible. Yeah, the cinematography is good in that. I can't say no to that. <laughs> yeah, I also know that the Tom Stern, Clint Eastwood look doesn't get a lot of love, but I do think that it kind of does work for Letters from Iwo Jima, and it might be the only film I think it does work for. So I would give a shout out to that one. 
I would say Volver. Ooh. There is great cinematography in Volver for sure. Mm-hmm. Like every Almodovar mm-hmm. film. Okay. Best Director, 1976. Nominees are... John G. Alvidson, winner for Rocky, Igmar Bergman, face-to-face, Cine Lumet Network, Alan J. Pakula for The President's Men, All the President's Men, and Lena Wurtmuller for Seven Beauties. That's a great lineup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, why Why would you change that? That's because somebody's trying to get Scorsese <laughs> for Taxi Driver in. Yeah. I mean, that is the obvious thing, right? Put in Marty for Taxi Driver. And I, I mean, I, I could live without Bergman there probably just because. Yeah, I would put Marty in over Bergman. It's, it's not one of his great films. It's a good film, but it's not one of his greats. And he's got already a ton of other nominations as well. I feel okay about that. I would love to have seen it done better across more categories than it did. Um, but I would definitely put uh, Brian De Palma in there for Carrie. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I was going to say that as well. Really, really strong direction that just like really elevates the source material. Maybe his only great movie, in my opinion. I but, mean, you know. I ooh. <laughs> Ouch. All right, next one. Best Actress, 1967. Oof, okay. Mm. We've got Catherine Hepburn, winner for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Anne Bancroft for The Graduate, Faye Dunaway for Bonnie and Clyde, Edith Evans for The Whisperers, and Audrey Hepburn for Wait Until Dark. Oh, man. Man. I love Catherine Hepburn, but she probably is the weakest out of that group. She really is, though. Like, ugh. And, but, like, as far as who I would replace her with, like, does Belle du Jour count for that year? Ooh. Ooh, uh, What was the release? It's listed as 1967, but I don't know if that's, like, if it was premiered elsewhere and then came to the United States later, or I don't know eligibility rules for it. Basically, I don't know it off the top of my head, so I can't tell you. Yeah, I'm going to remove Edith Evans for The Whisperers and replace her with <sighs> Audrey Hepburn for Two for the Road. So you would nominate Audrey Hepburn twice? twice? You, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah why not? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can make my own rules here. Why not? Yeah, I have I have swapping Audrey's, so I'd probably lose her for Wait Until Dark, as good as she is in this. Um, but I think Two for the Road is it's much more layered. Okay. Uh, and then the last one here, Best Supporting Actress, 1997. Ooh. Mm. Oh, I'm going to start right away. Kim Basinger absolutely gets the boot. It's my least favorite <laughs> ah. in this category of all time. I do not understand it. Ah. I don't even have a substitute off the top of my head. I'm just kicking her out. Four nominees. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is an amazing well, category, and I just don't understand it. I mean, so Joan Cusack also for In and Out, Minnie Driver for Goodwill Hunting, Julianne Moore for Boogie Nights, Gloria Stewart for Titanic, and I agree, Cody. Kim Basinger is like one of my least favorite wins in that category, and I too, I love L.A. Confidential. I don't understand that win. I really don't. I would maybe, zero. you know what? I have a substitute. I would either put in Parker Posey or Catherine O'Hara for Waiting for Guffman. Ooh. Ooh I, like. I thought that was before. That's 96, isn't it? Or 95? No, it's not. No, that has to be older. I, I have Go it in my 96. Let me double check. Hold it's on. I'm pretty sure it's a oh, no, year or two. Yeah, no, I got my release date. January 31st, 97. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever had that list is. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, I would, without hesitation, take out Gloria Stewart. She's my winner. She's really? she's delightful, but she has nothing to do in that movie. And this is where I'm really going to 
get it, but I don't care. Um, I replace her with Cameron Diaz for my best friend's wedding. Ooh. Oh, yeah. mm. Dan, I was thinking the same thing. Not only I wouldn't <laughs> replace Gloria Stewart, though. I'm removing Mini Driver for Sigourney Weaver in the Ice Storm. Oh, that's a good that's one, too. I, I forgot about the Ice Storm. Shit. Yeah. I think I would take out Basinger and replace it with uh, Kathy Bates from Titanic. I love Kathy Bates in Titanic. Oh, that's good. I love that, Dan. Yeah. I, I uh, adore her in that, yeah. And, and she had, she had, does have more to do than Gloria Stewart. Yeah. 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 I mean, how I'd nominate Frances Fisher over Gloria Stewart for that movie, too. Like, <laughs> come on, she won SAG. Because she's a living legend, or was at the time. Like, not because it was a great performance. Is anyone going to say Laurie Metcalf for Scream 2? No. No. <laughs> I love Ryan might if he was here. And I will leave that to him. All right, guys, that'll do it here for episode 200 of the Next Best Picture podcast. What a journey it has been. What a fun episode reflecting back. Some really, really cool announcements. Once again, Kaya, welcome to the family. Thank Yay. you. Hey. <laughs> welcome aboard why don't you actually start off by telling everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet you can find me on twitter at film lesbian michael where can they find you you can find me on twitter at m schwartz 95 used to be mike movie yeah don't go there anymore that's not me yeah yeah <laughs> michael doesn't like movies anymore so that's why he changed it <laughs> <laughs> dan bear where can they find you find me on twitter at dance and dan on film josh parm I am on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Tom O'Brien. I'm on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And because I'm a good host and I need to get him to work on time, Cody Derricks. Thank you. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at CodyMonster91. And also check out his horror movie podcast as well. Thank you. <laughs> I got you, man. <laughs> and you can find me at Next Best Picture as always. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, thank you, thank you for making this podcast what it has become over 200 episodes strong here on the next best picture podcast you can as always subscribe to us on itunes soundcloud google play stitcher tune and player fm acast Castbox, also on spotify and now a proud member of the evergreen podcast network more information to come on that as well be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback there and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, as you guys have done for 200 episodes, here's to 200 more, another 200 after that, maybe 2,000 more. I don't know if I'll live that long. But in any event, thank you guys so much. We will see you all next time.